Seven things all SEOs need to know about Eat with Lily Ray. In Search SEO Podcast is brought to you by Rank Ranger, the all-in-one SEO platform that helps scale your business through data and analytics. Hey, it's David. Most SEOs have heard of Eat, but why has there been such a big emphasis on Eat? How does Google actually use Eat? And how do you optimize for Eat? That's what we're going to be discussing today with a New York City-based creative and passionate SEO professional, originally from the Bay Area. She speaks at SEO conferences around the world about the latest developments in Google's organic algorithms and regularly publishes similar research across industry-leading SEO publications. A warm welcome to the InSearch SEO podcast, the Senior Director of SEO and Head of Organic Research at AMSIV Digital, Lily Ray. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Hey, Lily. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Well, you can find Lily over at lilyray.nyc. So, Lily, today you're sharing the seven things all SEOs need to know about EAT and starting off with what is EAT? Sure. So um, EAT, or also known as EAT, it stands for Expertise, Authoritativeness and Trustworthiness. It's an acronym that comes directly from Google. So it originates in Google search quality guidelines. I want to say around 2014 is the first time they publicly used that acronym. Um, And the search quality guidelines is a document that Google uses with uh, real human search quality evaluators who they run experiments with thousands of times uh, throughout the year around the world to basically have those evaluators uh, check how well Google is doing in terms of meeting Uh, the expectations of its users in terms of providing good content quality and and good uh, relevant results. So the search quality guidelines defines EAT and then asks search quality evaluators to basically analyze a lot of different examples of content to see how well that content and the authors behind that content are demonstrating expertise, authority, and trust. So that was one acronym. And YM... YL is another related acronym. So so what does that mean? Yeah, so the two go together hand in hand. Um, YMYL stands for your money or your life. So it's also something that Google establishes and defines in the search quality rater guidelines. And basically what they say is that for content or topics that are more your money or your life in nature, so things like um, safety, health, finance, law issues, politics, news, um, parenting. It's actually a pretty broad range of topics. Um, EAT is going to be more important for those topics. And the way I think about it and the way that I've seen in my research is that there's kind of a spectrum of how your money or your life content can be. So if something is discussing the COVID vaccine or um, heart attacks or suicide or something that's extremely Um, important for Google to elevate authoritative information in the search results, that's the most your money or your life content. And EAT is going to be so important for those topics that it's probably the single most important ranking factor for extremely your money or your life content. Now, you have the opposite side of things where maybe it's somebody's hobby blog where they talk about photography or puppies or something that's just like you know, lighthearted in nature, EAT might not be as important for ranking in those categories. So how does Google actually use EAT then? So 
the the only way that they've really confirmed that they use it is through these uh, search quality evaluator evaluations that they do. So these evaluators provide feedback about the extent to which the content that they're analyzing is meeting the expectations of what Google lays out with EAT. And that information, you know, the, the results of those tests are then factored back into future algorithm updates. So there's these big broad core updates several times throughout the year, and we see very significant changes in website visibility as a result of these algorithm updates. There's also thousands of unconfirmed algorithm updates throughout the year. So a lot of the times you'll see, especially if you work in sites that deal with your money or your life topics, you'll see very, very big changes in SEO visibility after these updates are rolled out. So I believe, you know, because my team and I work on sites that are affected by these updates pretty intensely, like that's a, that's a, big, um, a big part of what we work on day to day. I believe Google is trying to uh, better understand EAT algorithmically as a result of many of these core updates. Okay, so so why is there been such a big emphasis on this then? If it's I guess quite difficult to define how much of it um, comes into consideration with regards to algorithms. So I think that this largely stems. So this whole discussion became a really big talking point for Google and also in the SEO community beginning around 2016. I would say 2016 to 2017 is probably when they started to really try to incorporate EAT into their algorithms. And if you think about the context of what was happening in the world, and particularly in the US at that time, there was a lot of political volatility. There was this new concept of like fake news and misinformation um, that really kind of kicked into high gear in 2016 in the US. And I believe that Google um, created this notion of EAT and started to factor that very heavily into the organic results because they were trying to mitigate misinformation and fake news from circulating online. There's all kinds of scrutiny on Google as a business and the quality of its results for a number of different reasons. But what I think they're trying to do with EAT and actually what I think they've done better than other platforms, <laughs> better than other social platforms, is to mitigate the spread of misinformation. And actually, in some cases, I think they went kind of too far <laughs> in some examples. Um, but you'll, you'll also notice that, and they've confirmed this, that during what they call times of crisis, EAT becomes much more important. So authoritativeness becomes much more important. So if you have things like coronavirus, and maybe there's, uh, you know, like monkeypox is a new pandemic. Like during these moments where um, misinformation can circulate, Google ramps up the importance of EAT and the results. So I think it certainly seems logical, um, but it doesn't necessarily seem that tangible. Uh, is it possible for an SEO to discover their EAT score somewhere, for example? Yeah, that's the, hard, the part that's really hard for uh, the SEO industry to conceptualize because there is no EAT score. Um, there's no hard metric that we can look at or that Google gives us in terms of how well we're doing with EAT. In fact, Google is very, very elusive about what it means to have good EAT. Like if you read the search quality guidelines, there's plenty of examples of how they score this has a lot of expertise because it has, you know, the author has won 
these awards or this has a lot of authority because the site receives a lot of links from high authority publications or this is very trustworthy because you know we can tell like on an e-commerce site the trans the the return policy is very transparent so they give a lot of like tangible examples within the search quality guidelines but with SEO, we like to put things into like scoring systems. And unfortunately, we we don't mm. have that for EAT at all. We like traffic lights. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, so maybe practically then, how does uh, an SEO optimize for EAT? Are, are there a few steps that you can actually walk through people, walk through with people? Yeah, so I would start by reading the quality guidelines as it relates to what Google's looking for, because again, they have dozens of examples of what, good EAT and bad EAT look like in practice with actual links to pages that are example pages that show like, there's one example in the, in the search quality guidelines that's like a small business. And I think it's a, a restaurant. And the restaurant has a page that says about us. And then it's two paragraphs that are like, we're a restaurant, we've been in business for this long, we serve this type of food, this is a picture of the owner, whatever. And Google says this is a high EAT page, because the restaurant knows about itself. It's talking about itself. It's obviously an expert in what it does and its own business. And that's kind of like, oh, okay. So if you demonstrate like honesty and transparency and um, facts and evidence and everything, you're kind of doing the right things in terms of meeting their expectations for EAT. And there's all kinds of examples like that. So the nice thing about making this the focus of your SEO strategy is that this is great for users as well. So there's almost no downside to meeting what Google's looking for um, and its criteria. So it's like work with the, the clients that you, you work on to prove to the user why they can trust you and why you're credible. And that's a win-win for, for UX as well. So is this primarily about publishing great content, great quality content in the right place and the right format for users and search engines? Or is there also a place in this, for example, also for schema and for links as well to really build your each um, score if there was one even further? Yeah. So the because EAT is such like a, a big topic that encompasses so many things. And like, even just thinking about expertise, authoritativeness, and trustworthiness as three distinct concepts. Uh, there's so many ways that you can influence those three things. So you, you mentioned links. Google's confirmed that links play into authoritativeness. So of course you should try to get links from trustworthy sources, sources that are within your niche, reputable sources, authoritative sources. Um, that's great for improving authority. Expertise, I believe, is more on like the personal branding and the content side of things. I've been very focused on expertise this year because I do think that's something that we can work on with our clients in terms of the content that we add to the site. And also just making sure that um, what Google's very clear about is they want to know who writes the content. And, you know, this is not to say that having an author name is a direct ranking factor. I think a lot of SEOs make the mistake of trying to boil this down into like, I added an author name and nothing happened to my rankings. Like, it's not exactly how it works. It's more about, does the website as a whole provide transparency to the user? And one of the best things you can do to do that is to tell them who's writing the content. And then if, you're, if you look up that author's name, ideally, they have a brand and they have demonstrated expertise that they're trustworthy in those topics. So we work with a lot of health publishers, for example, where Google is very clearly in the business of reducing misinformation and bad health advice. 
one of the big outcomes of these algorithm updates of the past few years is that sites that provided health and medical advice that were like littered with ads, there's no author on the page, they were providing questionable information, um, they've lost visibility entirely. So, you know, you might think back to like five or six years ago, a lot of sites ranked that had like really sketchy medical advice, mm -hmm. like how to use apple cider vinegar to treat a skin condition and things like this that are not necessarily backed up with, with science mm -hmm. and, and data. Google has obliterated that type of content. So I would say, number one, don't try to make, you know, drive traffic through content that's not actually helpful or safe for users, yeah. but also prove that you've done your research and that the people that are writing the content with you have demonstrated expertise so you can trust them to provide good medical advice. Great advice. So you've mentioned Google quite a few times there as well. Is EAT a, a mindset, a way of thinking that's something that's also useful for other search engines like Bing as well? Yeah, so Bing was pretty clear with us a few years back. They put out their own version of um, you know, how they rank content. And they talked about their own version of EAT, which is called QC. So that's quali uh, quality and credibility. And that's basically the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, if you, it, Google or Bing rather actually has documentation that defines exactly what that is. But they look at the author of the site, uh, the level of discourse, the transparency of the authorship. And they also say that doing things like name calling or adding offensive statements to the content can demote a site's rankings. So what I think is really interesting about Bing's version, like many things between uh, Google and Bing SEO, is that Bing is much more transparent with <laughs> SEOs about how this factors into rankings. Mm. So they quite literally say, like, if you have good quality and credibility, we'll rank the content better. If it's bad, we'll rank the content worse. So Google doesn't explicitly say that. But the, the good news is that if you're doing the right things for EAT, you're probably also going to benefit from Bing's notion of quality and credibility. Um, so that's just Bing, but also Google owns a lot of different products, right? So there's Google Discover, there's YouTube, Google Maps, and I believe that they're echoing this this notion of EAT throughout all the different products that Google uses. Superb stuff. Okay, so let's finish off with... The Pareto Pickle. So Pareto says that you can get 80% of your results from 20% of your efforts. So what's one SEO activity that you would recommend that provides incredible results for modest levels of effort? So I would say um, honing in your content strategy to only provide helpful content where you do demonstrate EAT and not producing content for the sake of producing content. Mm -hmm. And also if you've done that, where you've created a lot of content, you can get a lot of benefit from like pruning that content, consolidating that content, just working with a limited set of resources and then treating those as like, you know, the most valuable content on your site. So like updating them, um, just paying attention to them. So basically less is more. Mm -hmm. And a lot of what my team and I do is, taking content that's not performing, maybe content where we don't demonstrate good EAT or Google doesn't trust that we're credible on those topics. And, you know, either like no indexing that or consolidating that or removing that and just focusing in on a finite set of resources that actually do well for the business. Great advice. 
Uh, I, I, there's a couple of other questions that uh, spring to mind in relation to that. Um, that's possibly another discussion. Um, obviously, in relation to pruning, um, you can create massive long um, pieces and, and perhaps redirect um, smaller, less authoritative pieces of content. I get just, just one follow-up question. Um, do you have any preference in terms of content length and style nowadays in, ter in terms of what's more likely to appear, uh, appeal to Google? Or is it simply just about answering the question in relation to the keyword as succinctly as possible and length doesn't really matter? So it's, it's completely dependent on the query itself. Um, you know, I think there's plenty of case studies and data that you can look at that most likely show a positive correlation between content length and performance for many different categories, especially in the your money, your life space. Um, I'm doing some analysis right now that shows like it's something like a thousand to fifteen hundred words is like, you know, the top performing content for the for the stuff that I'm analyzing. But it completely depends. So like if you have a dictionary site, you can probably get away with having, I don't know, three hundred words on the page for most of the pages. Yeah. And that's that answers the question. So it depends on the query, but I think when we're getting into these topics that are defining a medical condition or defining a type of savings account at your bank, like it, it's important to cover all the different things that the user needs to know. So generally the content's gonna be longer, um, but there's no hard and fast number. Superb. I've been your host, David Bain. You can find Lily over at lilyray.nyc. Lily, thanks so much for being on the In Search SEO podcast. Thanks for having me. And thank you for listening. Check out all the previous episodes and sign up for a free trial of the Rank Ranger platform over at rankranger.com. <laughs>